Well, I'd ask you to stand this morning and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We'll also read John 3.16. These are our two scriptures for this morning. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, And Saul approved of their killing him. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue our series on Love Letter from God, we've reached Acts, which is uh, by far my favorite book of all of the Bible. I love it because Luke is telling the story of the church, and he tells it like a story. If you read it, you see action, and lots of things are happening. It talks about how the church came to be, how it spread beyond Jerusalem, how it is that we know and love the same Jesus that Peter, James, and John did in Luke's gospel, how it is that that has created the church, big C, church throughout the world. It is compelling and active, and it tells of the Holy Spirit's work in the people of God. Acts tells of the Holy Spirit moving and filling and gifting. And the book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles, and certainly the apostles do stuff in the book of Acts, but really the book should be called the activity of the Holy Spirit because the work in this book is not just the apostles' work, but it is instead the work of the Holy Spirit in people who have encountered the resurrected Christ and come away from that moment radically, completely, utterly different, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We start in this book with Peter. Peter, who at the trial of Jesus was so ashamed and scared and worried that he refused to admit to the point of cursing that he had ever followed the one they were about to crucify. Peter was definitely a loudmouth and a leader of sorts in the Gospels. He said the things the others were thinking. He both proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah at one point and then turned around and tried to shush Jesus when he said he was going to die. He cut off someone's ear in the garden and swore to Jesus that he would die for him. And then he later swore he never knew this Jesus person and would everyone just shut up asking him about him, for goodness sake. That's in the Gospels. But in Acts, we read of a Peter who stands before the court of Jewish leaders and says he's not going to shut up. He's not going to stop proclaiming Jesus. They beat him, they scold him, and they tell him to stop. And when he returns to the church... He says, I'm not only going to not stop, but I'm going to ask you to pray that I'll be bolder, that I'll say it louder, that I'll say it better. And the church prays for him to the point that the building that they're in shakes because the Holy Spirit has been at work. 
What changed? Two things. He met the resurrected Christ, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't change his personality. He's still this person who is kind of reckless, a little bit loud. He's got a loud mouth with an uncanny ability to speak out about things. But he was no longer a coward about who Jesus was. He told others who he was. And the things he spoke about and the reason he proclaimed them, those changes came from a power he had never known. A power he did not know he needed. But a power that Jesus had given him and all the others who were part of the church that Jesus talked about and the Holy Spirit birthed at Pentecost. The church that you and I are still members of today. The church that gave all of itself for others. The church that was led by a man who once denied he even knew the one for whom he would ultimately die a martyr's death. Peter was transformed. The other person that we read about in Acts, the main character of the second half of the book, is Saul slash Paul. It's the same person. He's called Saul at the beginning of the book, and he's introduced to us on the day that Stephen dies, in the verse that is our key verse for this message. And Saul approved of their killing him. That's who Saul was. Saul was a faithful follower of God, but he approved of killing the man Stephen, a martyr who forgave those who stoned him, even as they did, and who preached an amazing sermon that you can read in Acts 7. Saul was a faithful follower of God, He believed wholeheartedly that God was God and that God was being mocked by these Jesus people. And he was having none of it. From the day after Stephen died until the day that Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he began a campaign against the followers of the way, as it was called, And although scripture never says that Saul directly killed anyone, he was definitely complicit in the persecution and murder of Christians. But then on the road to Damascus, Saul met the resurrected Jesus, and everything changed for him. He began the long journey that led him to changing his name, changing his purpose, Purpose, changing him from a persecutor to a missionary. Changing him from the one who denounced fanatically to the one who loved fiercely. The power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit didn't change all the things about Paul that made him Paul. His personality was still a bit prickly. He was maybe a little bit of a jerk sometimes. If you read some of the letters, you can see where people were a little offended by him a lot. He said things that other people kind of took personally. But it changed how he lived that life, and it changed why he lived that life. The apostles were still a bit nervous around him at first. I mean, this is a guy who was 
coming after them. But eventually, they recognize the wonder that the Holy Spirit had wrought by changing Saul. Someone who once hated them now called them brothers and sisters. Someone who would have killed them now fought for them. Someone who denounced them now prayed for them. Someone who thought he knew everything now obeyed their direction and submitted to them. If you read the rest of Acts, you can see the story after story of Paul doing the things that push the church forward. Paul had been changed. And we'll read his letters as part of the canon of scripture, as part of our Love Letter from God series. The next books that we do will all be letters that Paul wrote as he was out on his missionary journeys, as he began to build the church in different places, in Rome, in Ephesus, in Philippi, all these places that he went to. But the amazing thing about the book of Acts isn't just the stories that are in it, the stories that tell us of God intervening when Peter was in prison, or the stories that tell us about Paul and Barnabas and their journeys and how they were rescued from a shipwreck. The story of Acts, the amazing thing about the book of Acts, is that the story it tells isn't done when we reach Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Instead, as we read the rest of the Bible, we see all of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in Paul's letters, in Peter's letters, in James, the brother of Jesus who didn't even believe in him, in John, the beloved apostle who we just read in Luke wanted to call down fire on people and instead turns to understand that God is a God of love. story doesn't end at the end of Revelation. The beautiful transformative power of the Holy Spirit is at work in all of the history of the church, in Martin Luther, in John Wesley, in every person, man, woman, and child, who follows the Christ and is transformed as part of the church. The Holy Spirit is still in the transformation business. Your pastor is a testament to that transforming power. An angry cynic becomes one who loves beyond her own understanding by the power of grace and mercy and the love that is the Holy Spirit's trademark. It doesn't stop there. All of us can be transformed. All of us can continue to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. We can see the Holy Spirit's immediate work in Acts, but we also see the Holy Spirit working progressively, building transformation in people and places as time goes by. And the Holy Spirit works the same way in us. Our transformation is both too. We can be instantly transformed and we can continue to grow. We can see places that we need to be transformed that we never even thought were problems before. Things that we thought were just things about us that were idiosyncrasies become things that the Holy Spirit tells us we need to work on. Things that no one else even knows about us 
become things that God works on us for. And it's not because we need to be better persons or somehow more righteous, but it's because the power of the Holy Spirit changes us, changes us into people who are Christ-like, who love others more than we could possibly know or understand. As we grow deeper and deeper in love with the one who changed us, who has loved us enough to give us this love letter that not only covers these pages, but has reached out to us through the people who have followed, the people who now live for Jesus, the ones who continue the story of the acts of the Holy Spirit in the here and now. That's all of us. We are continuing the story of acts right here in moments, right here, right now. Every single church that follows Jesus is continuing the story of Acts. We are the ambassadors. We are the new Pauls and Peters and Jesuses in the places where we are. That's what God has called us to do. Today, as we celebrate communion together, as we read through our reminder of God's love together, I think we should reflect on the transformative power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in us. I pray that God will show us the transformation that we need, the transformation in ourselves that has already happened, and the transformation in ourselves that needs to continue to happen so that we might grow in faith. If we ask God to do that, God will show us and the Holy Spirit will work in each and every one of us. I would ask everyone to grab their blue sheets now this morning. If you don't have one, they're on the table back in the back. ask you to follow along with the sheets and where it has the bolded words where it has the bolded words I would ask you to say them and then I will read the non-bolded words what does it mean to say God loves to create us to form us from the dust to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death, to provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers, to show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up 
and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. Beloved, God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go, love the world with him.